Well, if you've been coming for a while uh, this fall, you realize that uh, we are in the midst of an expository, consecutive expository series in the book of First John, subtitled that you may know. And we last time out, a couple of weeks ago, we had the missions emphasis weekend last week, um, but we looked at the vital question of how can we know that we're really Christians? How can we be sure? How can we have assurance that we really are the real deal, that we belong to God and that he has saved us and we're going to be able to, to be with him in all eternity and not fear the judgment? That was the basic question we were looking at. And John gave several ways that we can know that and be certain of that. Well, today he's going to put another test out. Today we're being challenged by John to test the spirits, to test the spirits. Uh, that's in plural, meaning there. What, what influences, what voices behind what we hear, what we do, who's talking behind that. And we're going to pick up our scripture reading at 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And with John's help today, we will be able, hopefully, to discern between what is true and what is false. John, 1 John 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God stands and remains forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, I ask with the help of the Holy Spirit, who has authored your inscripturated word that we have read and heard. Help us hear your voice today, Father, and be assured that we are of the truth because we listen to your truth. In your holy word. Father, we ask this help and this assistance, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
No doubt many of you in the course of your life have taken uh, when you were young or maybe still occasionally now, even though you may have most of your academic uh, time behind you, but you've taken true-false questions or tests, right? Uh, I always used to like true-false uh, uh, questions because you have a 50% chance with that one. And, you know, the, the, the uh, multiple choice, you might only have uh, 25 or even 20, uh, depending on how many questions there were. So, uh, um, but we, we've all remembered, uh, have taken those. You know what they are. Uh, when it comes to mathematics, for instance, it's fairly easy to determine whether something uh, is in a particular equation is either true or false. It's either, it is, for instance, 2 plus 2 equals 5. That is false. <laughs> 2 plus 2 equals 4. That is true. Okay. So, or when it comes to even something like history, uh, there's ways that we can be, if, if there's enough data, we can establish the truth of something, whether or not it really did take place or whether it happened. And it could be photographic uh, um, proof of that. It could be archives. It can be archaeological. Various ways to find out, yeah, it really is true. Shakespeare had it right. Oh, oh Richard the, II was, uh, um, or Richard III did have a twisted spine. And everybody thought, ah, it's just uh, all you anti-Yorkists. But they did when they dug him up a few years ago. Uh, in uh, Shrewsbury. So, you know, they found out it really was true what was being said. However, when it comes to discerning spiritual truth and falsehood, it gets a little more challenging. That requires a different kind of test. That requires a real discernment about spiritual things. And Paul, uh, John is now urging us to Test the spirits, and he's going to provide us the way to do that in this passage that we just read. If two teachers, two preachers, both are claiming to have a word from God, to be sent from God, to be on, on, uh, uh, as a messenger from God, how do you know which one's speaking truth and which one's speaking lies and falsehood. John lets us know very early on that there are false prophets out there. And they're still out there. And they always will be until Jesus returns. Because some are of the truth and some are not. But how do we know? How do we tell the difference? How do we discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood and error. Well, John begins by telling us not to believe every spirit. Just because someone stands up behind a pulpit and wears a suit and has the credentials of an MDiv or some kind of degree that uh, sanctions him, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything they're going to say or just because they've been put on TV or on radio or on the Internet, it doesn't mean that everything that comes from their mouth is going to be in accordance with God's word, with the truth of God. Look again what he says in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
Now, in contrast to the many false spirits, there is also one spirit with a capital S, the Spirit of God. And that's referred to in the second verse. But by this you know that the Spirit, capital S, of God. Now you're going to know. So he's in play here too. And he's authoring and he's causing to come to pass or to, he is um, influencing the speech of true prophets, of those that are of the truth. But unfortunately, there are other various spirits and influences, more than likely many of them demonic, others just aping the world's understanding and its philosophy and just chattering that back to us. How do we discern the truth from the error? And so John, how can we know which is which? He essentially goes to ask three questions. And so the outline today is just going to be the answer to the three questions that he's asking. Here are the three questions that help us know the truth and know those who were led by the Holy Spirit. Number one, does the person talking, does the person preaching, does, is the person teaching, do they confess the divine Lord? Do they confess the real Jesus? Secondly, do they possess the divine life of having the Holy Spirit inside them? And then thirdly, do they profess the divine truth that comes from the word of God? Do they profess that? So do they confess the divine Lord? Do they possess the divine life? And do they profess the divine truth? Let's look at those in sequence. First of all, listen to again verses 2 and 3. This is concerning the one that they must confess faithfully. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not, positive stated first, now the negative, that does not confess that Jesus, does not confess Jesus, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you've heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he, excuse me, I'm sorry, I should have stopped at verse 3, I'm getting ahead of myself. True knowledge of God does not come from within. It doesn't come from just your and my native wisdom and ideas and musings. True knowledge of God comes from the outside and it's brought by the Holy Spirit. It has supernatural origin and it comes when the holy spirit comes to take up residence jesus said that he would when he left he would send the holy spirit to reside in us to empower us and to bring all things you remember he said into remembrance that i have told you in other words he's saying the things that i've spoken the truth i've told you about my father and about the world and about sin and reality i am and the way home and how to get there those things and everything i've told you he is going to help you understand that 
He's going to bring that to light. He's going to illuminate that so that you understand. John says you will know it's the Holy Spirit and not some other spirit at work if it confesses the true Jesus. That's the, really the bottom line point here. What is he saying? He's saying the way you're going to know that the spirit is not some other spirit, some demonic spirit or some worldly uh, philosophy influencing you, you're going to know if it focuses and centers and is obsessed with Jesus, with who he is and what he came to do. We call that in theological circles the person and work of Christ. But you have to understand both of those, both his person, who he is, that he is the God-man. He is both man and God, and both of those are essential to him being our Savior. He is also Messiah. He is the promised one that has come and to deliver and atone for our sins and put us into a right relationship with God. And he is the only one that can do that. No one else can. There's no plethora of saviors and options. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's pretty exclusive. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And yet many today denounce that as false and wrong. They tell us there are many ways, many roads. But Jesus himself told us. And the Holy Spirit comes and focuses on and brings to light and confesses these truths about Jesus. And if someone is teaching that is not confessing, this is not the center of everything they're doing. If they don't have a Jesus-centered ministry, then there's a high likelihood they are not from God. You see, the Spirit of God always honors Jesus Christ. And that's what he came to do. He can't help it. He can't lay off that pitch. John 16, 13 and 14, listen. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. For whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, Jesus talking here. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John's just reiterating. Yeah, yeah. What I, what I wrote in my other book. I'm, I'm telling you again, that's the way it works. The core of what John is saying here concerns who Jesus really is and what he did. As I said, the God-man Messiah. The incarnation is the very foundation of our salvation. And yet that's the very thing that all false teachers attack and reject. Either that he's not truly divine or that he's not truly man. One way or the other, down through the corridors of time, false teachers have attacked the person of Christ. And throughout down through time, others have attacked the work of Christ, saying, you know, Jesus is good, but you also need add-on, add-on, addition, more of this, 
more of that. Or you need to take away. Take this Jesus, this slim down, better version of Jesus. We've gotten, got rid of some of those things that we don't. This is a better Jesus. Take this one. Do you realize that every single major world religion and cult, all of them, without exception, deny that Jesus is the Son of God who has come in the flesh. That he is the God-man and he's the only one that could come and provide the saving benefit for sinners like you and me. And that there is no other avenue or source or reference that can get you home safely. They all reject some portion of that or all of that. They will not have a God-man who comes and is the only way. They all go after it. They do something to shave it down, water it down, or substitute. Secondly, do they possess the divine life? Look at verse 4. It's somewhat ironic that despite the presence of false teachers and spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, John tells us something. He says, don't be afraid. I know this is confusing, but don't be afraid because you got someone on the inside. Listen to verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now that he who is in the world is probably a reference to the evil one, to Satan. But it may not be. But either way, John is saying whatever's out there, all comers, world, flesh, devil, doesn't matter. You've got the Holy Spirit inside you. He has come to take up residence and Christ is living in your heart by faith in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, contrary to those who listen, excuse me, I'm sorry. John is telling us what he said elsewhere when he's saying, be encouraged, fear, don't fear, don't be afraid. There's one that's overcome. He uses another way of referring to him in Revelation 5, 5. John calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has what? Conquered. That's the same word, idea, overcome. He's victorious. You don't have to fear. You're not alone. He has overcome, and he's more powerful than anything that you will ever face, come what may. I love those lines from Luther's A Mighty Fortress. We just had uh, a couple of weeks ago, Reformation. We celebrated Reformation Sunday. And those lines from the second to third verse of uh, A Mighty Fortress, I, I, I can almost do them by heart, but I'll read them to make sure I don't muff it. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. He's talking about Jesus. He's not just, you know, 
He's not just on our side, he's inside. The man of God's own choosing does ask you, that may be Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And it's certain, it is sure, it's already accomplished. Just hadn't been fully recognized and realized in all its ramifications yet. But definitively, it's been done. And though this world, he goes on to say, with devils filled, should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. One word with the flaming sword in the mouth of the lion of the tribe of Judah will fail him. He has overcome. And that means you and I have overcome if we are in Christ. If we are believers, we are on the Lord's side. As the old hymn says, and he is with us. We have overcome. He told his disciples, fear not. Fear not. I have overcome the world. John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But, but, he said, take heart. Be encouraged. I have overcome the world. This was so certain. He had not yet gone to the cross, but he knew he was going and he knew what was going to happen and what was going to be accomplished. And now he sent his spirit to indwell us to assure us that we're his. You see, is the world strong? Yes, absolutely. But Jesus is stronger. Is Satan powerful? You bet. But Jesus is more powerful, far and away. Finally, verses 5 and 6 tell us about the question, do they profess the divine truth? In other words, do they... Do they hold to this? Do they match up to this book and what it says? That's the divine truth that John is talking about, the inscripturated word of God. Contrary to those who listen to the wisdom of the world, listen to what John says here. He puts this striking contrast between those who are believing and professing God's truth in those who are receiving and aping and parroting the world's virtues, philosophies, and values over against the sure and certain word of God. Verses 5 and 6. And they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. In other words, common sense, of course the world hears them. That's the only voice They're not hearing the voice of truth. They're hearing the voice of lies. And, of course, they parrot that and they pass it on. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, what does he mean when he says listens to us. 
what is that alluding to or what's that trying to get at? Is he talking about listens to us when we uh, just go for a walk and talking about the new sports and weather? No, obviously. He's talking about in the context. What's our role? What has John's role been in history, in redemptive history, in the plan and purpose of God? He was blessed to be one of those chosen apostles who when Jesus said, I'm going to, when the Holy Spirit, he's going to bring all these things to remind, and you're going to be able to tell others and write them down. You're going to be able to pass it on. Because you were with me. So instead of listening to the world's wisdom, Christ-confessing believers listen to him who was commissioned, those commissioned by him, the apostles and the prophets. Ephesians 2.20 says, built on the foundation, talking about our faith, our Christian understanding, our faith, our church, whatever you want, where you want to put it, this was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. He's obviously the bedrock of it all. It's all built on him. But the ones that he gave the truth to communicate and write down and pass on to others and tell about. And at this point in time, people, these, some of these apostles are still living. John certainly still is. So you can say, where, is it, where does it go back to? How do I know? Come talk to me. I heard it from Jesus. Today, where is it? It's in this inscripturated word, the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. What they said about Jesus, the truth they testified to about God and about Jesus and about man and about salvation and the way home. The Spirit and the Word, remember, always work together. You will never find the Holy Spirit over here doing something and communicating some truth or some revelation over here that is somehow not completely in sync with this book because he's the author of this book. He's not schizophrenic. In college, I remember at times talking to students and sometimes there would be a student uh, uh, that would be dating uh, uh, a non-Christian and they profess to be a Christian, and they would, uh, they would maybe be told, you know, that's not what the Bible read, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, in that area. Uh, that's not God's will for you. Uh, and they would come up saying, oh, but it, but it is. I prayed about it, and I really feel the Holy Spirit prompting me and telling me this is what I should do. And we basically would say, no, <laughs> it isn't. That's not the Holy Spirit. He does not go contrary to the word. He is the one that gave us the word. And he will not call you to go against it. Now the world will and everything out there is telling you today, hey, the old stuff is not true. We don't need an atonement anymore. We're more civilized. We don't need this. Oh, that, it doesn't, everything's interchangeable. All parts are interchangeable now. We just decided for ourselves. I want to today be this or I want to be that. Not according to this book. Not according to the owner's manual. You see, the one who is from God listens to God's words. In other words, if you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, and you basically look at this book as a, well, take it today, I might be in the mood to 
believe it today, but I won't believe it tomorrow. Or, you know, hey, well, I don't like that's really getting kind of pressing in on, on my lifestyle, kind of jacking my style. I, I think I'll leave that out and go find something else that, that matches, up, matches up with what I would like. No, can't do that. If you're from God, you will listen to the words of God. A lot of people say, you know, well, you, it's important you believe, but you know, it really doesn't matter whether you really believe the Bible is God's inspired word. Oh, yes, it does. This says if you are from God, if you have the Spirit of God, you will believe this is inspired word. You see, there is no Bible plus or Bible minus theology for those who truly know God. It's an all or nothing deal. You know, if you struggle with, well, I just don't know how that could be true. I, I just can't believe that story. You know, well, how could Jesus have walked? You're, you're, you're completely lost in the weeds. You got to pull way back out. Here's a bottom line question. Is there a God that is the creator of everything or is there not? If he isn't, then what are you worried about a silly book and what's in it or not? It's either true and it came from God, and he's been able to preserve and make sure that what's there is, is reliable and truthful, or it isn't. You can't pick and choose, cut and paste what you want to believe and what you don't. Reject it all or believe it all. Because God is its author. He'll take care and make sure that his children are communicated the truth, even if they don't fully understand all of it yet. Now, this presents a very interesting question. Notice that he said, you, he said, the others speak from the world, but we are from God. Whoever knows God's listen, knows God listen to, listens to us. That's present tense, right? He's talking about the apostles. But how do we listen to the apostles? They've been gone for 2,000 years. Well, <laughs> this, is what, this is what they wrote. This is what they put down. They were the authors of the rest of God's revelation to us. Listen to this quote from, uh, I, I, I know I'll goof the name. Uh, there's no way. It's uh, uh, Tabiti Adamswile. Um, uh, he's a, uh, a contributor with the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel and several other uh, uh, Reformed and, and, and uh, Reformation-based uh, groups. Uh, but this is what he says about how the Word of God speaks to us. He says, through a certain kind of preaching that takes the apostles' words, in other words, these words that are here, that were given to us by the apostles, through a certain kind of preaching that takes the apostles' words and explains their words and applies their words is the kind of preaching that enables us to listen to them today. We call this expositional preaching because it exposes what the apostles have written and the meaning and the application of their words and when you listen to the word of God expositionally preached, you are listening to the apostles and ultimately you are listening to God himself. Through the ages, the church has understood that. 
I am a really poor mouthpiece. But God's big enough to even bring to light and speak to you from his word and by his spirit, even using a crooked stick like me. There's something more going on than just the components that you can see. And we have the word of God. His truth abides with us. No teaching, listen, that contradicts or is inconsistent with those of the Bible can be accepted as truth about or from God. I didn't say about everything, but when it comes to what is from God and what is about God, there can be no contradiction regardless of who says it. I don't care how many degrees. You can have more degrees than a thermometer. I don't care how smart she is, how well she presents herself and comes across. If they don't speak, Isaiah 8, 20 says this, to the law and to the testimony, talking about the Old Testament, same thing is true of the New, to this book, this God-authored book, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because they have no light in them. Darkness. You're trying to read with the lights off. It is only this word. It's the touchstone. It's the measuring stick for truth. And you don't have to go out and get a survey monkey poll going or survey nothing wrong with those but i mean you don't have to say well what do you think do you believe this or do you believe that well it looks like we would change our policy no it's here brothers and sisters you see the words of god spoken through the apostles and prophets have now been inscripturated in the pages of what we call the holy bible and there alone, and with it alone, can we discern what is true and what is false. Are you listening to the Spirit of God? Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us listen. Father, thank you for sending the Spirit. It is confusing at times. It's hard when we find ourselves swimming upstream and trying to seemingly push a giant boulder up a hill in the, in the culture all around us is going the other way and saying this is, this is the way to freedom. But Father, your word is what sets us free. Jesus, what you came to do is what sets us free. Help us to, to weather the storm and hold fast and fear not because you've overcome. And your word will not fall. There are no falling words you told Joshua long ago of what promises you have made and spoken. Help us remember and believe and have faith and courage to believe that in our time and not be ashamed of the gospel. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.